Imagine growing up without a father's presence, guidance, and support. For millions of children around the world, this is their reality when a father is incarcerated. We'll hear accounts about individuals who have experienced this absence and how it has shaped their lives. We'll also explore the challenges faced by these children, the emotional toll they endure, and the barriers they encounter in maintaining a relationship with their incarcerated fathers. We'll delve into the importance of maintaining these connections and the potential for positive outcomes when fathers are actively involved in their children's lives, even from behind bars. We'll talk about all this with our guests in just a moment, so don't go away. Welcome to the Fatherhood Challenge, a movement to awaken and inspire fathers everywhere to take great pride in their role and to challenge society to understand how important fathers are to the stability and culture of their family's environment. Now, here's your host, Jonathan Guerrero. Greetings, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me. My guest is author, speaker, family life coach, and family relationships specialist, Dr. Roland Hill. Among a long list of leadership responsibilities he's known for, one of his most known roles is leading a national support ministry to prison ministries. His work involves bringing a message of hope and economic empowerment to prisoners, developing curriculum for prisoners, and training churches and organizations in prison ministry. Dr. Hill, thank you so much for being on the Fatherhood Challenge. I'm excited about being here and look forward to this great time. We have a really fun tradition on this program when we start things out. We always like to start out with a dad joke. So Dr. Hill, what is your favorite dad joke? (laughs) The funniest thing I can say is that my father was a man who was of little words. Mm -hmm. So when he would call me down in college, and in those days we didn't have pay phones. We just had, I'm sorry, we had pay phones, no cell phones. And he would call me in the dorm and I'd pick up the phone and I said, how you doing, Dad? And he said, how you doing, son? Here's your mom. That was the extent of the conversation. <laughs> Dr. Hill, what is the story behind how you got involved in prison ministry? It was in a divine revelation, if you might say it. When I was teaching at Southwestern Adventist University, I think I met you there, Holly. Mm-hmm. Okay. And um, there was a brother in the community that used to come around and ask me to come to the prison to assist him. And I found all kinds of excuses why I couldn't come. I was very busy. I traveled every weekend, taught full time during the week. So it was a legitimate excuse, but I really didn't want to go. And then one day in my office at home, I was praying and talking to God about ministry and emphasis in ministry. And I said, God, you know, I want to reach black men. And God stopped me right in the midst of that prayer. And he said, they're in prison. You need to go. Mm. And shortly afterwards, this brother called me and he said, Doc, I'm calling you for the last time. Uh, will you come and help me out at the prison and to teach this concept of theoeconomism? And so, of course, I couldn't deny him because I had just gotten a clear revelation from God telling me to go to the prison. I went there and taught for six weeks the concept of theoeconomism and Man, these prisoners, these inmates, these men just ate it up. And I was so inspired that I looked forward to coming back again, but time did not allow me to. And so 25 years later, God brings it back to me again without doing any work with prisons in between the prisoners and prisons uh, in between there. And 
they had prison ministry day at our church here in Huntsville where I've retired. And they sent out this notice. And I told my wife, I don't want to go to prison ministry day. I just don't want to hear another boring sermon on prison ministry. And, you know, my wife and I have been married a long time. So she said, I think we need to go. And when I hear her say that, I know the spirit is speaking. So we Mm -hmm. went to church that Sabbath. I went reluctantly. But let me tell you something. The spirit of the living God spoke through the guest preacher. And uh, tears started running down my face. I accepted the recall to prison ministry. And the interesting thing about it, the, the brother that got up to testify afterwards was a young man that I met his freshman year in college. I was his resident assistant, RA, his freshman year. And he had, I hadn't seen him in 40 years. And in that 40 years, he spent 20 years behind bars and had only been out 18 months. And God says, now, this is why I'm telling you, you need to go. People you know have spent time behind bars. So I accepted the call and we launched our ministry, which we call now Remember Prisoners Are Us, a national support ministry for prisoners, returning citizens, and prison ministries. What are some of the stories of children who have had or have incarcerated fathers? And what are the stories of the fathers? You know, I was just talking today with. Um, our chapter president for Remember Prisoners of Us in Kansas City, Missouri. And he was sharing with me one of his friends and colleagues, his name, we'll call him Daryl. Daryl committed a violent crime, and he ended up spending a number of years behind bars. And when he left to go off to prison, his only daughter was seven months old. And she did not see him again until she was 22 years old. And it was such a devastating experience to her. She didn't even really know him because at seven months old, what does a child know? And when she came, when he came out, um, it was devastating for him because now he's been locked up looking for love and looking for a response. But when he came out, Because this daughter felt abandoned, neglected, and she had had such a hard experience over the years he was incarcerated, that now she is is revengeful, angry, and it doesn't seem like it's going to ever stop. It's like a lifelong anger and resentment. This is my friend telling me this just today. And so it's a lot of hurt that comes the feelings of abandonment, the feelings of neglect, the questions, where were you when I was growing up? And even though, of course, the brother uh, committed a crime, in fact, that's what made it even worse because he did something that literally put him behind bars. Now he's living with regrets. He's living with hurts. And it's very difficult to mend the relationship. And that's the kind of thing that's happening all over this country, all over this this world, but especially here in America with so many fathers locked behind bars. Are any of these relationships redeemable? Yeah, they are. You know, I've I've talked with a a number of of fathers uh, in our recent time in prison ministry, 
And um, there have been some good experiences. Some of the children have literally said, Dad, we, we understand better what happened. And what happened, the fathers reached out from prison to ask forgiveness for what had happened and did their best to nurture their children from behind bars. So, yeah, there's some redemption that's going on. Are some of the prisoners ashamed to have their kids visit them? I mean, I've heard a few stories like that where they just don't want their kids to see them or to experience that. Is that some of what's going on? Oh, yeah. It's a lot of shame, a lot of guilt uh, that goes on both with the child and also the father behind bars. Again, when we speak of Daryl, Daryl was hurt because, you know, he looked at what he did. It didn't make any sense. Didn't look down the long haul. Didn't think about his child when he was doing it. So now, you know, you're, you're living with the guilt. You're living with the shame. And so building a relationship with the guilt and the shame on both sides of it becomes difficult. But what I found, Jonathan, is that when men find Christ behind bars, it helps to build the bridges back for relationships. Mm. You know, I'm working with some returning citizens now, and, you know, some have been behind bars. In fact, three of them I work, I'm working with right now, one spent 36 years and 10 months behind bars. His best friend, who was in the same cell with him for 30 years, just got out about 11 months ago. He spent 42 years behind bars. And then another gentleman I'm working with, he's just got out about a year, a little over a year ago. He spent 42 years behind bars. And what I saw the difference were these men had a connection with family throughout their entire time in prison. They were not abandoned by family. So the fathers who still keep a connection with family and children while they in or while they're incarcerated, they have a better chance of having the reconciliation take place when they get back. These men have told me unequivocally, the prison system is such a destructive place to the self-worth of a man that if he doesn't find God, he will be completely decimated. No self-worth left at all. And these guys that I'm telling you about, they will say unequivocally, had it not been their relationship with God, number one, they would not have made it past or through the long-term imprisonment. And then secondly, when they came back, they would not have been able to have any type of relationship with anyone because the prison system, uh, for, what, for, for whatever it is, literally dehumanizes the men and women behind the bars. Mm-hmm. And so only God can give them the self-worth to stay there for an extended period of time and then for them to feel like anything when they walk out. So we've talked about the uh, psychological and the emotional toll that a prison term can have both on the father and on the family, but we really haven't touched on the economical. What are the statistics of children whose dads are in prison and what is the economic toll on their father and families? There are 1.7 million children who have parents behind bars. 52% of state prisons um, 
are are or have the fathers or parents that are locked away. And in the state, in the federal system, there's 63%. In other words, there are 800,000 parents in state and federal prisons. And this is what's alarming, Jonathan. 93% of them are fathers. This is an atrocity. So think about it. These guys are taken away. Many of them are taken away in the prime of their life. Okay. They don't have the ability to create wealth inside a prison. They're actually working for 52 cents and <laughs> wages that are actually slave labor, to be honest. And so now they get out. And when they get out, it's almost impossible for them to find employment. Here's why. Number one, they have little access to education to learn anything. And then they carry the stigma of being an ex-offender. That's why we use the term now returning citizens, so that we give some type of dignity of them coming back into society. They can't find housing. Okay, um, They have oftentimes very little family and community support. And then when they finally find a job, and this is what breaks my heart, they're paying these guys and gals, and these fathers in particular, minimum wage. The one brother that I'm working with in Birmingham, Alabama right now, been out a little over a year, he said, Doc, I work part-time at the VA hospital uh, in the janitorial department. And he said, I make just barely enough to get gas to go to work. So now you place this financial burden on them, and then they're required to pay probation officers $40 every month just to check in. Wow. And then some of them have to pay restitution for the crimes that they've committed. And then some of them have to pay back child support. And you can't do that on $16 an hour. So it becomes a tremendous stress on returning citizens. And then some of the guys that I'm, I'm working with right now, they're coming back and they're in their 60s, brother. So now you're 60 years old and this is what they say to me, Doc, we don't have time to be slowing around. We're not, we don't have about 10 or 15 years of work history left and we have absolutely no retirement. So we have to find ways to create more wealth. And so it becomes a, a tragedy. And that's why 700,000 prisoners are released every year. Within three to five years, 78% of them return back to prison. And the number one reason is that they are not able to take care of themselves financially. That's, uh, that's really heavy. It's almost as if the system is rigged for them to fail right from the very beginning. And then there's the fact of employee discrimination or employer discrimination. I mean, where um, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of employers that simply will not hire a felon. So how are they supposed to actually get a decent job to be able to pay for all of this? Uh, my wife and I worked for a year with the National Prison Ministry as we were building our own. And I found out that the niche in the marketplace that's critical is working with returning citizens. And it has to be more than simply, you know, encouraging them to be good 
you know, community citizens. It has to be programming that literally takes into consideration what they've been through. As one of my, um, our chapter president for Remember Prisoners or Us in St. in Kansas City, Missouri, he said to me, he said, Doc, when a guy comes out of prison, he is actually suffering from PTSD just as much as guys who go to another country for war. He said, because in prison, it's war. You have to defend yourself. And so a returning citizen program or reentry program has to take into consideration these guys who are dealing with PTSD, guys who've been in prison so long that they missed the stages of life. This uh, guy, my chapter president over in Kansas City, I talk about him because his story is unique. He was he spent 23, behind, 23 years behind bars innocently. Okay. And when he got out, uh, because his belief in God, he was able to forgive, get on his feet. But he told me, he said, Doc, you know, my wife and kids, I left them when I was in my early, late teens, rather, early 20s. And he said, my wife is in her 40s now, but I wasn't even thinking in my 40s. I was still thinking in my 20s because those years were spent behind bars. And so a reentry program has to take into consideration helping men realize the life stages that they missed and help them to develop that. And then secondly, or thirdly, I don't know the number right now. It's just coming from my heart. One of the things that we have to do, we have to teach fathers in particular how to run and operate their own businesses. That's why we are launching what we call Reba Reentry Business Academy with the whole idea of dealing with their post-traumatic syndrome, the missed life stages, helping them to develop the whole idea of, of uh, the soft skills of how to, how to work with people. Remember, when you've been locked away for that many years, okay, you've, you've learned skills to deal with men behind bars, but not how to go out and deal with interpersonal relationships with people in the community. So we do that with the program. Uh, the reentry program, REBA, Reentry Business Academy, we call it. it, it will help them deal with transitional services. You know, many of them don't have an, an ID they don't have a social security number. They don't have any of this, these services that are critical for them to re-entry society. So the re-entry business academy is designed to give them these transitional services. We'll be working with those uh, men and uh, ministries that deal with transitional housing. Now we don't deal with transitional housing, but what we will do is help fund those that have the transitional housing by giving the students in our reentry business academy a subsidy so they'll have a place to stay because many of these guys, when they come out of prison, they don't have a place to stay. So they're struggling. Right? And then the reentry business academy teaches them the principles for managing their resource and then teaches them how to establish their business. When they finish the 16 week program, they will have a full business plan 
They will have a business attire, a business suit with their name on the inside. They will have their business cards. They will have a computer. And if they pass the inspection and they have a great idea for a program, we will give them startup capital so that they can go right to work in their own business. And by the way, we'll help them get their EIN number, which is a, allows them to do business without their own name, because when they put their name in it, all of a sudden their record comes up and it keeps them from doing things. But when they put in an EIN number, their business name, name comes up and they're able to conduct business without the stigma of being an ex-offender. So we're excited about the program. Yeah, this is amazing. It really sounds like the ultimate solution for returning fathers that are trying to reenter society. Entrepreneurship really is their best way in because they don't have the barriers uh, or the discrimination put on them by, by employers. If I can give a quick short story, one of my, uh, my chapter president in Dallas, Texas, he spent about 18 months in federal prison for uh, a crime. Well, he was actually a drug supplier and he likes to tell his story. But while he was in prison, he got a pattern for starting a trucking business. He came out and started a trucking business mm. and has done extremely well. I mean, like he had six trucks at the same time running cross country. In recent years, he came down to one truck, okay? And <laughs> he drives a 15-mile radius in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and he does extremely well because he took charge of his own financial destiny with his own business. And that's what we really have to be able to tell returning citizens because no matter how much he gets paid on a job, it will never get him caught up from the years he missed. And the way he can catch up is creating a business where he can create the wealth to determine his financial destiny. I want to go from a different angle. How okay. does prison impact fathers and their families spiritually? Jonathan, that is one of the biggest drains on both the father and the family left behind. I have a friend, actually he's a pastor. And he revealed this to me just shortly. I've been knowing him for years. And he said, listen, Doc, I haven't said this a lot, but he said, my daughter spent 18 years behind bars. And he said, when the family member goes to prison, everybody becomes locked up. And the drain financially is just horrendous and the spiritual drain, speaking specifically to your question, it's, it's undescribable because all of the strain that comes from the guilt, the blame, the hurt, all of that takes away one's self-worth, both in the prisoner or inmate and the family. Who wants to say, well, my daughter is in prison and she's been there for 18 years? That's hard to say. And so it does take a big drain on the spiritual life of both the inmate and also the families there involved. Every member of the family, as, this, as my friend said, goes to prison when the family member goes to prison. Now, the reason why we named our organization Remember Prisoners Are Us is it's 
a direct reference to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 3, where God himself told us to remember prisoners. And he said, remember prisoners as if they were us, as if we were one with them. Mm. In other words, he says, I want you to remember prisoners because that's who you are. Every one of us are prisoners of sin. Mm-hmm. And God says, now what I did was, I want you to remember that this is what I've done for your liberation, and you need to do the same for others. One, two, you need to remember that you are no better than the men and women behind bars. And it's amazing, Jonathan. My wife and I spent 12 weeks behind bars in a women's prison and a men's prison last year. And man, these men and women touched our hearts because they were just like us, man. These are not dumb, ignorant people. These are not ruthless criminals. You have a few in prison. Many of them made one mistake, man. They could never recover for, and they're spending their time behind bars. Hmm. And we realize how much they are just like us. They have the same kind of feelings. They seem have the same kind of hurts. They have the same kind of regrets. They have the same, all of the struggles that we have in the free world, they have on the inside world. But our prison tri- system treats them as if they are non-human. They're not human at all. And it's a travesty that breaks society. I think the Bible says it this way, as you've done it unto the least of these, my brethren, and you've done it unto me. When we treat prisoners any kind of way, we're literally treating Christ that way. It's an indication of our love or lack of love for Christ and for God. I'm a firm believer that when prisoners, inmates, returning citizens are taught, it helps them to get a new perspective on themselves and how to live in the world. And many of the prison prisoners, those that are inside, they are looking to learn. And this is what they tell me. We want materials that speak to where we are, who we are, not only inside a prison, but how we're going to make it when we get out. So we design, especially, um, crafted materials for inmates. Our first uh, literature that we created is the Prison Economic Reform Educational Program, PREP. It's a seven uh, book, three course curriculum that walks them through every single thing they need to know for gaining back their self-worth, for understanding their spiritual walk, for understanding how to manage resources and the first things they need to know about running and operating their own business. It's very powerful. Dr. Hill, how can dads or families listening now connect with you or learn more about what you're doing? Thank you for asking. I'd be so happy to share with you where we are. You can go to our website and our organization's name is Remember Prisoners Are Us. And that's the capital R with parentheses uh, around it. And our website, take this down, www.iagfprisonministries.org. I'll say that again, www.iagfprisonministries.org. And that's just one ministry, one more time, www.iagfprisonministry.org. And if you missed any of this, It will also be on the Fatherhood Challenge website. So if you go to thefatherhoodchallenge.com, 
That's thefatherhoodchallenge.com. Go to this episode and look right below the episode description. All of the links that Dr. Hill mentioned will be right there for your convenience. And Dr. Hill, as we close, what is your challenge to the audience listening right now? My challenge is twofold. One, remember prisoners are us. And then two, if you can send financial support to help us work with these returning citizens and prisoners, it would be a blessing to everybody. Dr. Hill, it's been an absolute pleasure and an honor to get to speak to you. Thank you so much for being on the Fatherhood Challenge. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Fatherhood Challenge. If you would like to contact us, listen to other episodes, find any resource mentioned in this program, or find out more information about the Fatherhood Challenge, please visit thefatherhoodchallenge.com. That's thefatherhoodchallenge.com.